You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. buffet except all the food's good you look to the left i want that you look to the right i want that right in front of you you want that that's tonight's show i got a little something for everyone except everything is for everyone tonight we are jam-packed we are high atop a very controversial downtown nashville tennessee why controversial you may ask we got 16 days until hawaii comes to town to take on vanderbilt um they're kicking us out of our office management back in full force they're turning our office into a makeup room. And so we're going to be forced to probably go work out of the lactation room just to prove a point around here. And don't worry, I go in there to take a nap all the time anyway. So I think we'll be okay, but our appeal will be heard. We got camp scoop tonight. We've got recruiting scoop tonight, a big day for the University of Texas. I've got an angle, and I promise you I'm not spending much time on it because we got to get down to business. There's football to be played. But I got a little angle I just want you to be aware of on conference realignment and the future of this sport and how I continue to present to you the idea that the door may not be quite as slammed on our hopes and dreams as you may think they are. I watched the Johnny Manziel documentary on Netflix. I have thoughts. We'll get to it later in the show. I got USC record predictions tonight, what ifs, bold predictions. Mm, told you, that's a buffet that makes everyone happy. They're watching us in Abilene, Texas, Selma, Alabama. Herman, Maine is tuned in, good people in Herman, and Watertown, Tennessee. So I never lose confidence in you guys, but I got to be honest, I read it on Jesse's face sometimes. And sometimes lately, I don't think he's believed we're going to get to 200,000 subscribers on this channel by the time kickoff happens. And we've got tools that we can track internally what we're pacing at. And so we've been pacing. This is just some inside baseball for you here. We've been pacing to get to 200K subs in late September. But we've seen a surge in the last week. And now, as of today, we're pacing to get there on September 8th. Now, as you know, that's not good enough. We want to get there before kickoff of week one. However, if you just, just keep doing what you're doing and keep recruiting the folks you're recruiting, We'll get there. I got I got a got another chalice to give away later in the show from one of you. This just it's just doing the Lord's work. That's all you have to do. And so keep it up. Immunity. Let's get into the show tonight. I am very, very excited because I have so much camp intel for you that I had to incorporate a post-it. I couldn't even fit it on the page in front of me. Whew, this is what we do. If you're new here, first off, we just do this show all year, and we would appreciate you to tune in and make this your college football headquarters. So in August, we like to lead every show by leveraging our entire network of team insiders, and I want you to know the scoop that you're probably not going to see on the front page of CBSSports.com or ESPN.com. 
because those folks cannot delve this deep into the weeds, but we can and we do. First up, Colin, here's your end point. The Georgia running back position is something to pay attention to. Now, I know wire to wire, everyone across the board right now has Georgia as the preseason number one with good reason. They should be the preseason number one. That does not mean they're not without flaws. I've listened to Kirby Smart talk up there a time or two so far this spring, and he keeps on talking about how he's worried about depth at certain positions. I get the feeling some folks think he's lying to them. I get the feeling some people believe Kirby Smart's just trying to manufacture doubt about his team. He's telling you the truth. They have depth issues. They've got depth issues at running back right now. So if you're looking on your screen, you already see it. If you're listening on podcast, Kendall Milton is out right now. He has not been practicing because he's got a hamstring injury. Uh, you look elsewhere on that depth chart. Dejon Edwards is a senior. Uh, he, he's there. Okay, so we've got him. But outside of that, Branson Robinson's coming off a foot injury. I think last year or either in the spring. Um, Andrew Paul is a redshirt freshman. He had an ACL tear last year. Rod Robinson is a true freshman. There's just not a lot of proven depth and not a lot of overly healthy depth behind Kendall Milton, and he's out right now. I'll tell you what that does. For those of you who have ever rooted for a team that dealt with a ton of injury concern at a certain position, it impacts the way you can practice, and it's impacting Georgia and the way they can practice right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you Georgia's going to all of a sudden struggle to run the football. You don't have to drop off 100 yards per game on average, guys. If you have a new quarterback and you also have a situation at wide receiver, and this is part two of what I'm trying to talk to you about, you got a situation maybe at wide receiver where no true wide receiver one has emerged so far in fall camp, and that's according to our folks down there uh, that are around the program day to day, then what are we talking about here? Don't you want to own the line of scrimmage? Don't you want to be able to run the ball down folks' throats? Hasn't that been George's M.O.? It could be this year, but you got to do it with healthy running backs. Uh, Dogs 24-7 is the place to keep up with that. Like, talking to Jordan Hill over there, uh, talking to Wolk over there, they're, they're trying to paint as real a picture for you as they can. Just stay tuned. They haven't even gone through their first scrimmage yet. This is not time to sound any alarm. They'll still be favored every game. They may very well be fine and run the ball for half a mile per game. It's something to just keep an eye on. I think I may have sounded a little too alarmist there. So, so let me just go ahead and get in front of it so the eye josh doesn't blow up. Not sounding the alarm. I'm just saying keep an eye on it. How about Penn State? Uh, did the Lions 24-7 pod the other day. Uh, Donahue, Tyler Donahue and all the folks up there do really, really good work. I am really interested in the Penn State linebacker position. You know, once upon a time, they called this place linebacker U. Maybe they will again this year. So um, if you haven't been keeping up, this time last year, linebacker was at the very least a question mark if not an outright weakness, because Curtis Jacobs was the only name, was the only proven commodity really that we knew anything about entering 2022. Fast forward a year. We enter 2023, and we know for sure the top three there, but also they returned five of six who played 200-plus snaps last year. So they've got a ton of experience in that room right now. And talking to some folks close to the program up there, they think they have seven or eight in that linebacker room that they can lean on. And when you think about what cost Penn State last year, they didn't lose five or six games, but think about the game they lost against Michigan. What happened in the Michigan game? Couldn't stop the run to save their lives. Couldn't plug gaps to save their lives. I'm not telling you that that um, problem gets turned off overnight. I am telling you if you've got that kind of dependable, proven veteran depth in that linebacker room, it greatly helps. We had Steve Sarkeesian on the show the other night. 
and got a lot of good reviews on that. Sark and company had a good day on the recruiting trail today. We'll talk about that later. But as far as camp scoop, I'm hearing some things about the Texas running back position. Now, if you are a more, I'm not going to say casually minded person, but if you choose to acknowledge the offseason, then you come back to college football in the fall and you find out, hmm, well, they lost B. John Robinson. He was really good. They lost Roshan Johnson. He was also pretty good. I can only assume Texas is going to be weak at the running back position, right? Well, not necessarily. Jonathan Brooks last year, now only in 51 carries, averaged over six yards a carry. He's there. And also, C.J. Baxter is a five-star true freshman that everyone expects to play this year. It's just a question of how quickly will he be able to be depended on. 6'1", 218. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes guys have names and you correlate it to the kind of player you think they are. This could literally be just me. When I hear C.J. Baxter, I think scat back. He is not that. He is 6'1", pushing 220. As a true freshman, will be a between-the-tackles guy. He's got really good hands, uh, very physical. As you could imagine, with the kind of offense Sark wants to run, pass pro, pass pro, pass pro. Can they depend on him on carries where maybe he doesn't touch the football? And for that matter, uh, Brooks as well. So that running back position, keeping a close eye on that, I don't think Texas needs to be elite. They don't need to have a top 10 running back room, but they, they better be good enough at that position. If they can be good enough at tailback, and I think that's a room that'll improve during the season. That's what a lot of people around the program think. That is how they get the most out of that wide receiver room. I want to go to Tennessee for just a second. So, so picture in your mind Tennessee football especially last year. What do you think about? You obviously think about offense, right? Everyone focuses on offense with a Josh Heupel team. Linebacker is a critical unit on this team. The folks closer to the program know it. The folks covering the program are talking about it constantly behind the scenes. So Aaron Beasley is back there. But there are some other names, and maybe you don't even know Beasley, but if you're closer to the program, you know Aaron Beasley. He led them in tackles last year. He's back. All right, I want you to listen to this. So Keenan Peely, that's my best guess at the pronunciation right now, he's a redshirt senior. And when I say redshirt senior, I mean a Brigham Young redshirt senior, which means he's closer to 30 years old with, uh, he's married, right, Jesse? Isn't he for real married? Okay, I was about to joke around saying he's married. He actually is married. Probably got a sensible mortgage, uh, down payment on several cars at this point. He is also going to happen to play uh, college football linebacker this year in Knoxville, Tennessee. They've got him there. Elijah Herring and Caleb Perry are sophomores that are very much emerging in fall camp. At least that's the word we get. But Arian Carter is a name. All the way at the bottom of the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, they beat out Alabama for him. He's an in-state kid. And uh, he's actually down from near Smyrna because where we play softball, he actually went to high school not too far from there. Priceless nugget of information for those of you out there, by the way. Arian Carter is what everyone's talking about there. Even with all that experience returning, a true freshman, that's the guy they're talking about. If not immediately, then eventually this year, he'll be on the field. Uh, Vols 24-7, Patrick Brown, really good with the intel over there. If you need the day-to-day, make sure you're checking out Vols247.com. I've talked to you about Louisville a time or two. Louisville is one of the sleeper teams, uh, partly because you have, you have so many new pieces there. Jeff Brom is now the head coach there, but also... Uh, The schedule is just kind of weird in a good way for Louisville. Well, kind of the same drill with Tennessee, to be honest with you. If you think about Jeff Brom coming into Louisville, 
the first thing your mind goes to is offense. Hey, what kind of offense are they going to have? Well, here's the reality. The reality is they've got an experienced offensive line. Uh, they got a really good one to it running back. And defense is actually what a lot of insiders around Louisville expect to surprise the country this year. They, they portaled really well there. And the style of play overall with Louisville this year, I think may surprise some people. You think Jeff Brom coming in, you think throwing the football all over the place. I actually think they'll pound the rock. I think they'll be much better than expected defensively. Here's the problem for the ACC. Colin, I'm going to let this B-roll run for a second because it looks really pretty. But eventually, if you have Louisville's schedule, could you pop it up for me for just a second? Because I want to remind you guys, I know a lot of you may be watching the show tonight, and it's the first show that you've watched in several months. I don't expect you to have Louisville's schedule memorized. So I'm going to be the one to tell you, yeah, they play in the ACC. Yeah, they got a new head coach over there. So yeah, there's a lot of unknown. And yeah, it's a Florida State Clemson world right now and everyone else is just living in it. But if you look at Louisville's schedule, they don't play Florida State. They don't play Clemson. They don't play North Carolina. So those are conference games. And so while everyone else beats up on each other, um, what could Louisville be doing? And especially if they're better than you expect defensively, that's a team that can dive bomb people or, or bludgeon people. Who knows? So keep an eye on Louisville. Uh, Jody Demling over at Cardinal Authority has had that well covered. And so if you're a subscriber over there, you're probably not surprised by what I'm saying. But I, I think in some corners of the ACC, they may be surprised this year. Uh, just quickly, I wanted to let you know something that's going on up at Kansas, of all places. So I think this is a good thing. They had a former five-star offensive lineman come in via the portal, uh, Logan Brown. And look, I was, I was reading some of Michael Swain's stuff over on fog.net, and you just expect when Kansas gets a former five-star offensive lineman, it's a plug-and-play situation. He is not running with the ones. And it's, it may be because he hasn't had the best spring or summer, but it's also because they got decent depth there. So Kansas, right up there, no matter which metric you value, Right up there at the top of the country in terms of returning production. That includes quarterback, but also a lot on the offensive line. Hey, North Carolina is another one I want to talk to you about in just a second. Ben Sherman, the folks over at InsideCarolina.com. They're saying what I want to hear. Oh, but I really, really need to hear it a whole lot. Here's what I want to hear with North Carolina. I'm going to lean close to the mic. Uh, defensive line looking a little bit better than anticipated. Actually, they're saying a lot better than anticipated. Amari Gaynor from the portal. Let's cross our fingers. Uh, they've still got Dez Evans. Travis Shaw is still up there. Um, Tamari Fox, really big surprise for them. I think he was out last year. So there are a lot of names. They haven't lacked for names defensively. They just lacked for production of any kind defensively. They were right near the bottom of FBS in most discernible defensive metrics last year. Um, that was last year. I don't know what kind of quantum leap I can expect from them this year. If they're just, I don't know, top 60, uh, that would be great. It would also be a pretty big achievement. It'd be great. What could they accomplish if they just make that kind of leap? It'd be nice. I love Camp Intel. I mean, we, you know, we have to really, really parse down to the point where we can fit stuff in the show. We leave so much on the table. If you're not a subscriber to your local team's website on 247sports.com, you get access to the whole network. That's, the, that's kind of the value proposition and why I think they should charge you more than they do around here. Luckily, I get a free subscription. That is the perk of having my job. 
but you pay for one subscription, you get access to the Tennessee site and the Washington site and the USC site. They love us on uscfootball.com. Love us over there, conditionally. Uh, You know what it's time to do? It's time to show you exactly how one of these bad boys gets earned. This is a chalice of supremacy. We do not sell them. Someone claimed the other day that Elon Musk himself could not afford one. And they're right. I would still take offers, but, but as of now, I feel pretty strong in that principle. They're right. But you can earn one. And I'm going to tell you exactly how you earn it. You do things like our buddy Jarrett did. Uh, here we see Jarrett and his young puppy. And Jarrett has put a t-shirt on said puppy. And it just it's very simple, but very to the point. He said, subscribe to Late Kick with Josh Pate in order to pet. This is a very pettable dog. If you're listening on podcast, very pettable dog. Pretty much every dog is. There's a little baby pit bull running around my parents' yard right now. Very pettable. I would love to fit her for one of these t-shirts. Look, if you are taking an active role in promoting this show publicly, no matter how creative you have to be, we had a gas station owner playing the show in his gas station the other day. We had someone holding up posters at the College Football Hall of Fame last show. Let your dog do the work. I don't care. But this has earned Jarrett a chalice of supremacy. We already got the shipping info. It's on the way. As soon as New Meredith gets in here, it's on the way. Thank you, Jarrett. Go Freights. Next up, a very, very healthy and necessary exercise in August. It is What If time tonight. Chapter 21 of What If has basically, um, basically every angle of college football covered tonight. Whew, this one, I want you to think about what this one means. Gary started us off. He said, what if the college football playoff title game, so the national title game, what if that is two first-time teams? I took this to mean teams who have never played for a national championship. So automatically, goodbye Alabama, goodbye Georgia, Ohio State's gone, Clemson's gone, LSU's gone, uh, Florida State is gone, Oregon actually is gone. Oregon played for a national title the first year of this thing. So those teams are out. You want to know who's still in there, though? I'll tell you who's still in there. Michigan's still in there. Never played for a playoff national championship. USC's in there. Penn State's in there. One of you the other day sent me the hypothetical, what if we get the 05 title game again? What if we get USC versus Texas? Well, if this comes true, that could be your matchup. Those are out of the teams that haven't made the title game ever. That's the number two and number four odds teams left. But you got Tennessee in there. Uh, Oklahoma is in there, for example. Utah, A&M, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Washington. A lot of fun to be had in those hypotheticals there. Um, I'll tell you, if it happened, pretty much no matter what the combination is there, uh, it, would, it would inject a little something into the sport. Because, of course, you've got a contingent of people out there who think this is impossible. Just like they thought it was impossible for a Cinderella run. And then TCU knocked on the door. And the year before, they thought it was impossible for a G5 to make the playoff. And then Cincinnati knocked on the door. You know, a lot of that cannot turns into just have not. You ever notice that? As, as life plays out, so many can'ts are in retrospect are realized that they were, just, they were just haven'ts. They weren't can'ts. Next up, <laughs> as I say that, a lot of you think this is just a flat out cannot. Weston said, what if Connor Wigman is a Heisman finalist. Well, I'm not going to go as far as to say we're predicting it, but I do want credit for finally learning to pronounce the kid's name right. I had a lot of help. A lot of help. So what if Connor Wigman is a Heisman finalist? 
I think this would be the story of college football this year. And I'm going to tell you why. He's not a Heisman finalist if A&M doesn't have a total rebound year. Like they're 10 wins or better in this scenario. So this is the story of 2023 for obvious reasons. Texas A&M is right back in the playoff hunt. What does it mean? Does it mean they won the SEC West? Did they win the SEC? Can you imagine the year before Texas comes into the SEC, it's A&M winning the thing. And, and their quarterback, instead of maybe Quinn Ewers, who knows, maybe, maybe it's a Texas quarterback not named Quinn Ewers that ends up being a Heisman finalist. Maybe both of them are in New York City as Heisman finalists. But think about what this does for the, uh, I hate the word narrative, the, the legacy, the, the story arc of Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino. The mic's working. I'm just pausing for a second. Are you thinking about that? They're over under win total seven and a half. Half of you think he'll be out of a job this time next year, and the other half, you really don't believe in A&M. You just think the buyout's too big. They were one of only two teams in the country last year with a sub-500 record despite having a top-25 defense. That's how bad the offense was. 84th, I think, scoring offense. Look, told you the other night, wide receiver core is underrated there. Tight end room, probably underrated there. If they made the right move, and if that offense, it doesn't have to hum. If it just, if it is overly functional, <laughs> that's our goal right now. I'm, I'm not doing the Heisman thing. I'm tempering my expectations. I just want an overly functional offense. Let the defense do what it does. A&M could be a double-digit win team. And I know that's going to be out of context clipped for a hype video, but I'm not lying. I just didn't predict it. That's called fence riding. Do it very well. Next up, Purdue. According to Otis, what if Purdue wins the Big Ten West? Well, Ryan Walters would be very, very celebrated. He's the new head coach there. That was the D.C. up at Illinois last year. Hudson Card transferred there. He's their starting quarterback, we believe, and we believe he is. Uh, that would be what a reclamation project, what a rebound personally for Hudson Card. But what was the major upset would be my question, because they play Ohio State and Michigan. And so if they're over there winning it, it's either because it's a total car crash and they just emerge from the wreckage, or maybe they pulled a monumental upset. And let's be real, Purdue's done it in the past. And also, I think I may need to remind you guys, they got 17 wins there the past two years. That's the most two-year win total, highest two-year win total they've had at Purdue since 97 and 98. So I know it's not quite University of Georgia standards, but they're over-under win totals five and a half. They'd have to surprise a lot of people. They're plus 9,500 to win the Big Ten Championship. Don't need them to do that. Just need them to make the thing. Uh, you would have an, a contract extension on Ryan Walter's desk by the end of this sentence if I were to be talking in December and this happens. Lastly, Joe said, what if for the first time all three playoff games are decided by one possession? Well, ridiculous conclusions would be made, Joe. Now, this almost happened last year. We had close semifinal games. We had TCU-Michigan come down to the wire. Should I tell the story about Urban Meyer? I'll tell the story about Urban Meyer. I'll tell it in a second. Okay, first off, let me get through the what if. So we had, we had Michigan-TCU come down to the wire. Then we had Georgia-Ohio State. I mean, your boy's standing right here underneath the upright, and there goes the ball over there. Georgia wins. But then the national championship game was a total splattering. Just a Sarah McLaughlin special if there ever has been. So we didn't quite get it, but we almost got it. If it were to happen this year, 
you would have a bunch of people drawing definitive conclusions about the, the right structure of the playoff because of this. Um, in this case, anecdotally, I would probably agree with them, but one little sample size of a season doesn't prove much of anything. I think, though, producer Jesse said this earlier today, and I agree with him, folks like me would probably come on the show and say, hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> hope you enjoyed it, because it is expanded playoff season now from this point on. Unless some people just decide to forego money, we got ourselves an expanded playoff. And uh, that'll be that. Now, for the Urban Meyer story. So, we're at the semifinal game in Atlanta. We're at Ohio State, Georgia. It was the night game. So, we're on the field pregame. And it's Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. So, the TCU-Michigan game is playing on that giant ribbon board above the field. And so, I wish I could have filmed it, but it would have been unprofessional. Uh, Mark Pantone is standing on the sideline. About 20 yards behind him, I'm standing there and Urban Meyer's standing there. We're watching the game. I think Brian McFadden was standing there as well. So we're watching the game. And I have never, ever seen a football coach. Even though Urban Meyer wasn't technically in football at this moment, I've never seen a guy so emotionally invested in an outcome I've never seen someone pull against Michigan as hard as I was watching Urban Meyer pull against him. And this is no secret because if you were in the stands behind him, you saw this happening. And man, when TCU clinched that thing, Urban Meyer, man, he was jacked that day. He was jacked. And I was just looking at him. I was saying, you care. You care a whole lot, don't you? That guy's still got a lot of Ohio State in him. Um, I've got a lot of Academy Sports and Outdoors in me, and I'm not too ashamed to admit it either. Because Academy Sports and Outdoors is for people like me who live a minimalist lifestyle and you only need a few things to make yourself happy. They're my one-stop shop in life. Most of you, let's be real, you probably need to go to Academy for like 80% of your needs. And then, you know, you can go to Ulta, you can go to a Toyota dealership. Some of you like to drive trucks and whatnot. But it largely, Academy's got what you need. And they got Big League Chew in the checkout line too. So if you don't think they've got everything... That's proof. They've got everything. Uh, my most favorite thing, which we'll probably start aggregating again, is when you send me your receipts and show me when you were in a bind. One of you needed football cleats the other day, and you went to, shall we say, a competitor, and they were going to overcharge you. They didn't have the exact selection you wanted. And, and I don't know why you did this, but you chose to make Academy a last resort. They don't care. There they are. You're just spiraling towards earth, about to be street pizza, and there's the Academy safety net. They may actually carry safety nets over there. And not only did you get your cleats, not only did you get the color combo you needed and the size you needed because you had a wide foot, a lot of information being spilled here just to say you also got it cheaper at Academy. Now, if you can't get there in person, Academy Sports and Outdoors also is on the World Wide Web, academy.com, for all your outdoor sporting goods needs and then some. Uh, this is a paper stacker segment. That's something in my eye. I'm sorry about that. I promise you, and you can time me on this, I'm keeping this pretty brief, but I did have something to share with you. After a sip from the chalice, um, yeah, let me get this statement here. So, I know a lot of you aren't thrilled with where we are in college football right now. I get it. I'm right there with you. We are on the same page on that front. I think that maybe it's a little more short-term than the finality that currently exists in the fog that this sport is lost in, and that was way, way too complex a sentence. All I'm saying 
is all the realignment right now. And, and it looks like so many brands and teams are falling off a cliff. And it may be that in the short term. I don't think it's forever. However, anybody who's watched Late Kick for a long time knows that we, we and by we, I mean me and part of the audience, we've had a spirited back and forth on what's best for college football. And, and that really just comes down to preference and opinion. So we, we do agree on one front, and that is, regardless of what we think is best for college football, we all know the tale is old as time. And that tale is old as time is you build something good, and you keep it a secret for a little while, and a smaller group of people get to enjoy it, and then it gets popular because the secret gets out, and then it gets commoditized and commercialized, and then it loses its soul eventually because the wrong people find their way in charge of it. That is the story of college football present moment. And some brands and some things recover and some never do. I think college football will be the latter, not the former, or the former, not the latter. I never really got that phrase. I get it. I just never use it the right way. But be that as it may, I think it's pretty obvious to see where we are right now. So whether you've, uh, whether you've been a pro-realignment or anti-realignment person, whether you've been a pro-playoff expansion or anti-expansion person, you're not watching this show if you don't love this sport. So I know we got common ground even if we disagree on some stuff. Well, one of my core beliefs in my resistance to things like playoff expansion has never been, oh, I don't care about more football. Oh, I don't care about home playoff games in the atmosphere. Oh, I don't care about giving other people shots. It's never been that. I, I don't mind all that stuff. I mean, I think it does something to the regular season, but it's never been about that. That's like way, way down in the weeds. My resistance has always been zoomed much further out. My resistance has always been way up at 30,000 feet in knowing the kind of people that were pushing the sport that direction and knowing that it did not solely entail that one thing. College football playoff expansion was tied at the hip with several other very, very, um, very, very less than desirable moves they wanted to make with the sport. You're seeing them right now. Same people responsible for what you're seeing right now are the folks that tried to convince you that playoff expansion was best for the sport and they fed you the talking points and some people bought it. I want you to listen to this. So Stuart Mandel over at The Athletic does a mailbag feature. And he had a question. And then this is, this is behind a paywall. So I'm going to show you this because Chris Vanini tweeted it out. So I'm going to show you this. I would encourage you to go read the rest of the article. It's a little lengthy, so bear with me. So an anonymous person submits this question. Quote, do media companies understand what makes fans love college football? This isn't the NFL where you move a team to another market and the fans remain. Oregon State fans will never be Oregon fans. FSU and Miami fans will never root for Florida, etc. The passion in college football that comes from the rivalries, pageantry, and traditions is very real. If you tear the soul out, NFL Sundays are right there. That is a beautifully constructed but also horrific in the reality of its sentence and in question or statement, I guess it was. Uh, here's, Man here's Mandel's response. He is so spot on with this. Listen to his response. He said, when I picture the type of fan the TV executives are thinking about when they make these big deals, it's not an Oregon State dad and his son who go to Research Stadium together on Saturdays, then come home and watch the Pac-12 late game. They're picturing a New York Giants fan in Queens who can't name a single current college player and could give two craps about Oregon State. But if they see Ohio State playing USC on a Saturday, they'll drop what they're doing for an hour and watch it. 
and there are millions more Giants fans in Queens or Pats fans in Southie than there are Oregon State or Washington State fans in the entire United States. Depressing but true. End scene. Because that's, exactly ha- that's exactly what has happened to your sport, to our sport. Those are the people currently in charge. Those are the people currently with the power. May not be that way forever. I still contend you and I ultimately hold the trump card in that it's the eyeballs that we have in our heads and the viewership habits that we have through our remote control or whatever device you choose to watch your content on that will win the day. But it ain't going to happen overnight. And so that right there for a long time was believed to be an attitude that would never be allowed to permeate our ranks. Well, it has. You really do have people who could not care less about tradition. Look, you think of college football, you think of Saturdays with your friends, you think of your childhood in many cases, you think of history, tradition, you think of cultures and subcultures for that matter, you think of community. They just think of property. That's all they think about. That's all they see it as. They don't know this stuff. You cut them open, you really get inside them. They don't know a thing about this sport. They know media markets. They know shares, uh, they know revenue streams, and that's what college football is to them. So when you go back to things like the college football playoff, for so long, and this is just one little microcosm of a larger issue, for so long, the argument was it was so in the weeds. It was how many auto bid spots should we have? Or, well, how many more games will have meaning in the regular season? Or will the games lose meaning in the regular season? These people couldn't care less. They couldn't care less about your attitude about that. Colin, can you believe that now he's calling us? Cole Kublik is calling us because I ghost him on the text message. Hey, bud, we're live, so I got to call you back, okay? Sometimes you just got to do it to him. Um, so anyway, I the other night said, I don't know if this is quite as final as we think it is. What I meant by that is there's a lot of talk. Um, it will not bear itself out overnight. I told you that at the time. I'm still telling you that. There's a lot of talk, though, that some of the aggression in media rights dollars that are being handed out, and therefore some of the aggression in moving and conference realignment to grab those media rights dollars or to be on one of the, one of the very few large figurative life rafts out there, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, that may not be forever. Um, you got folks like Chip Kelly making really good points out there. He said, why, why haven't we just detached football from the rest of college athletics and just put about 60 to 70 teams in here, split them up geographically, and let the college football playoff as an entity run things? Now, look, that's not my desirable spot, but in lieu of where we're going right now, I'd much prefer that. Also, um, yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll talk to you about that later because it's still kind of off the record. But there's a lot of things being said behind the scenes that basically sound like this. Hey, I know it looks like this is being done in finality. No, we could just revert right back in 10 years. Not in 10 months, but in 10 years because there are a lot of people looking at the dollars and the way they're allocated in the college space right now, in the media market space, media rights space. They don't think it'll be that way forever rapidly changing landscape. And also, as I talked to you about before, and as I'm going to tell you again, there are third parties out there, everything from private equity to Saudi Arabia, who are observing this uh, with very, very keen eyes 
and they understand when you have undervalued assets, and they also understand uh, what benefit injecting themselves into college football and their capital into college football could have, and college athletics in general. That's very convoluted. I know it is. I'm not going to finish the the um, rabbit hole tonight because, quite frankly, I have things to do, and we only want this to be an hour show. What I'm saying is don't lose hope just because maybe you're seeing a conference fall off into the Pacific right now. may not be that way forever. But some folks have to either be removed from the driver's seat or have to have their seatbelt jerked a little bit and, and understand that people are watching them. Good, we're done with that. Ooh, so, what have you been doing with your free time? Hopefully watching the show or watching replays of the show, and I thank you so much. Uh, if you're watching live, I especially appreciate it. I would just ask that you like the video while you're here. That's the thumbs up button for those unfamiliar. I watched the Johnny Menzel documentary on Netflix. I would strongly encourage you to do the same. Now, what I'm not going to do is spoil it for you. I think you pretty well know the story of Johnny Menzel. There is some stuff in there that you would not otherwise have known. I'm going to start with the positives, okay? Easily, the first and biggest takeaway from the Menzel documentary is Billy Lucci looks immaculate. The Texag studio looks immaculate. I have been gaining clout all over Nashville all week by reminding people that we did late kick in the studio that is prominently featured in this Manzel documentary. So good for us and good for Billy Lucci. I was texting with him last night while I was watching it, and he, I asked him, when did you film all this? He said, about a year ago. I think it was between week one and week two a year ago. So some of the positives I took away, and I strongly encourage you guys to watch this, it's unfiltered. For better or for worse, I don't really care if I like someone or don't like someone. I don't really care if I approve of or don't approve of your attitude on life. Just be authentic with me. At least I want to know the real you. Well, there is no doubt that you get the real Johnny Manziel here. You may not get the entire depth of the story because it's only a little over an hour. and You would need, you would need a 10-part docu-series of hour-long episodes to really tell the Johnny Manziel story. I think they do a good job of skimming the surface of it. Uh, but they, they don't really dive too far deep into any one particular issue or topic. But I, got, I just got so wrapped up in remembering what the pre-NIL world was like. And Christy Dosh, who does great work, I would encourage you to follow her on Twitter. She put out this factoid, and they talk about it in the documentary. We're in the NIL world now, so if you're like 10 years old, 12 years old, you've pretty much only known a world where players can make money. And 10 years from now, we will be further immersed in a world where it's just commonplace for high-profile star college athletes to be millionaires. What in the case 10 years ago when Johnny Menzel was in College Station? Bunch of folks were making millions, not the players. And I have never been a person who believes that the average college player's value is quite what they think it is. But there are certain players, Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, those are three of them, whose value is millions of dollars. While they're in college, they, they should be millionaires. That would be their true market value. I want you to listen to this. It, this is wild to the point where it sounds like a typo, but it's not. In 2011, this is according to Christy Dosh. This is her stat. In 2011, the total number of reported donor contributions for the entire SEC was about $252 million. That is the entire conference, about a quarter of a billion dollars in donations. 
In 2013, Texas A&M alone reported $740 million in donations. That's the year after the Manziel explosion happens. Just ungodly amounts of money. Let me repeat this. The entire SEC in 2011, 252 mil. A&M, the year after Manziel blows up and wins the Heisman, $740 million. They blow up Kyle Field and start renovating it. That place looks totally different today than it did when he was there, largely because of him. I, I had one of you hit us up earlier today and say, would we have ever even been able to afford Jimbo Fisher if Johnny Manziel hadn't happened? Would this job be as attractive to someone like Jimbo Fisher if Johnny Manziel wouldn't have happened? You, you could do the rest of this show and then some just on the impact he had there. But the further removed you get from the pre-NIL era, the wilder it looks. Like, that already sounds pretty wild. And, and to a lot of people, it was ridiculous at the time that he had to sneak around, as you see in the documentary. I mean, they're having to take private flights to go do autograph sessions to make 30K, 40K, 50K. It's not illegal. It's just against NCAA rules. And they had a really good system devised for that. Nate. What a soldier Nate was, by the way. And so nowadays, you just, you just cash in on that. Not back then. And so, I mean, imagine listening to that another generation from now. Imagine in 2040, you listen to that story and you look at those numbers. A&M in one year raises three times the amount the entire conference did two years earlier, really off the back of one guy from Kerrville, Texas. One guy. Just a staggering, staggering amount of money made off of one person. So... There, there are several things in this doc that a lot of people are talking about. I'm going to let you form your own opinions. But um, like I said, I appreciate the authenticity. It's really ultimately sad, though. To me, uh, the way I came away thinking about it is I remember how entertained I was when I watched him. But when you get the curtain pulled back, and he's on this thing. I mean, he, he is an integral part of it. He's on the record. He does not pull any punches. Uh, but he, he also not really apologetic. He's just presenting his point of view. It's kind of sad to me, only because I'm looking at potential. And as great as he was, the dude never watched film, even in the NFL. He just admits it. I never watched film. Zero minutes spent watching film. They could track it on his iPad when he was with the Browns. Never watched film. Didn't do it in college. Cliff Kingsbury talked about it, former OC. We just knew we had a star. You kind of, you got to treat stars a little bit differently. The old Jimmy Johnson approach, but for college football. But man, like, I know some of you get anxiety when you even think about traveling. And you want every I dotted, you want every T crossed. Like Tim watched, buddy of mine, uh, I think he lives down in Birmingham still. Who knows what Tim does these days? But that he travels a lot and tries to pressure me to travel a lot. That dude will have an itinerary that is longer than the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he'll know every single thing, every plane, every connection, um, every price point. Meanwhile... We got Johnny Manziel, a literal NFL quarterback, the day before a National Football League regular season game, decides to fly to Vegas, gets out there, and then just says, I figured I'd just get out there and find a commercial flight back. And then I realized, oh, the last flight direct to Cleveland from Vegas tonight's already left. Oh, well, let's just turn up for the night. 
And then the Browns let him go the next day. <laughs> like he went out there the day before a game and did not even, he did not even know how he was going to get back. And the sad part is, I just wonder what the guy would have been like with even a little discipline, with even a little commitment to the craft, because he was just naturally that gifted. That's why you're talking about an insane generational talent. He did what he did. He rewrote record books. He won the Heisman as a true freshman. He became a first-run NFL draft pick and had horrific habits, had horrific work ethic, no dedication to the craft, at least in comparison to what other people uh, that would be considered his peers had. He just had God-given ability that was so far above and beyond, he kind of made up for it. But I, I, was, I was reading what Ryan Leaf said about it and his overall impression of it, and some people are taking away from this documentary that they exploited Johnny Manziel. By they, I mean the folks who made the documentary. Because this is not a story of redemption. It is not a rehabilitation story. Like, if you go into most episodes of Behind the Music, you're used to seeing a band blow up, and then they get sky high, and then drugs and alcohol and, and jealousy and clicks and infighting take them down. But then at the end, there's the rebound. And about the last 10 minutes, it's about life after fill in the blank. And everyone's happy, and everyone's got a wife and four kids, and they're all, they're all well and good, and they've all made up. That is not the Johnny Menzel documentary. His best friend in college, they haven't spoken since. Um, his dad and he were estranged for a long time. And I guess things are okay there now because they, they showed him sitting on a porch. But I think what stood out the most to folks who have watched this is a lot of the issues it sounds like he had, he still has. And so a lot of people have looked at this and said, okay, if you don't have a redemption portion at the end of the story arc and you tell this story, you're exploiting him. I didn't necessarily see it that way. I get the point they're making. But my counterpoint will be, your job's to tell the story. It's not Hollywood. You don't always get to write the kind of ending you want. And also, Johnny Manziel's not even 30 years old yet, so you haven't seen his ending. There's still several, God willing, there's still several chapters in his book to where maybe you're watching part two of that thing seven years from now, and it picks up where this documentary leaves off, and he's sitting there openly telling you about how, oh, I was still a disaster at the end of that documentary. Now look how far I've come. I, it's part fun to me. It's part sad to me. But I also, when I saw it conclude and the credits start to roll, all I thought about was to be continued. It didn't say it on the screen, but that is very much to be continued for me. All right, let's roll on. It's on Netflix right now. I encourage you guys to go watch it. Um, big recruiting day, specifically in Austin, Texas, but I got recruiting scoop all over the country here. So Colin Simmons... Big five-star edge rusher, 6'3", 225. Guess who landed him? I know the rest of the world was shocked today, at least to some degree. And there were a lot of folks thinking Miami. And there were a lot of folks thinking LSU. And then there were folks who watched Late Kick the other night. Colin, do we have it? Let's roll it. To be honest with you, there's a strong LSU contingent. And there's some very knowledgeable, plugged-in people in the building who think that Colin Simmons is going to commit to LSU on Thursday. I'm just not one of them. I think he's going to Texas. Colin Simmons committed to the University of Texas today. Sometimes you just get lucky, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes you just get lucky. So there is an attitude out there that I want to shoot down right now. There is a, an attitude, a little talking point, if you will. It's pretty popular. It sounds a little something like this. All right, so Texas 
They got a big recruiting win here, but they're going to need to start doing that a lot more if they're going to compete in the SEC. Wrong. They need to keep doing it because it's in the present tense. They've been doing it the last two classes. The last two classes, they've been top five. They've landed SEC caliber classes the past two. They'll probably end up landing one again this cycle. This is just another win. Uh, Then you got other folks who say, oh, well, it was just an NIL win. That's the game they play in the SEC. You better be really good at it. Texas is. Past two classes, along with this class, they are loading up like they had not done before he got there. Another one of the biggest myths in college football is, well, talent was never an issue for Texas. Yes, it was. They never had the tree. They had the ornaments. They had some nice-looking ornaments out there. They had built teams from the outside in, basically, and then forgot the in. Uh, they, have, they have gone about things the right way under Sark. And uh, yes, it is coincidence we had him on the show the day before this happened. But if you want to think that that was by design, I'm not going to stop you because it makes us look cool and we need all the cool points we can get. You know what it's time to do now, though? It's time to talk about another Big 12 team. Could it be OU? Hmm. Could it be TCU? No. Central Florida is rolling in recruiting. Do you know that? Gus Malzahn's Central Florida Knights of Big 12 fame are rolling in recruiting. Who, after OU and Texas leave that conference, will be the big dog on the block? What if I told you UCF, outside of OU and Texas, currently have the highest rated class of what will be the remainder of the Big 12? They've landed several guys the past few days. They are the top class in the Big 12. They're top 25 nationally right now. Now, there is a side commentary that can be had here, and that is, well, first commentary is it's a long way to signing day, but you guys always remind me of that, so I'll let you say that in the comments. The second part of the commentary is someone's going to have to step up. A couple of recruiters, by recruiters I mean overall staffs, are going to have to step up in the conference. you gotta, you got to have some folks challenging top 12, top 10, top 8 range, and I'm not sure that anyone in the conference will have that this year. But I will tell you this, when you look at what it takes to acquire talent today, uh, you better be pretty well positioned or you better have all-star recruiters on your staff. So you better be Oregon, in other words. But you better be well positioned geographically. You need to be in a Power 5 conference, which they are now. And you need to be a parachute destination. And what I mean by that, and I've talked to you about this many, many times before, is there are some places like Central Florida UCF, excuse me, that are situated in Orlando. There's already a ton of talent around them. They don't get all the talent initially. But a lot of that talent inevitably will go elsewhere. Maybe Georgia, maybe Ohio State, maybe North Carolina. And it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And they want to transfer. The tendency is to want to transfer closer to home. Thus, the parachute effect. And guess who's right there on ground level waiting for them? UCF is right there. I think they're just getting started. Cincinnati could be this. Houston could be this. TCU could be this. Someone or a couple of someones really have to step up and and just gear it up to the next level in recruiting in the Big 12. UCF is doing it. So credit to them. Credit to Gus Malzahn and his staff. We order Mediterranean food sometimes in the office. And sometimes I make Bradley the associate order off the kids menu. And Tzatziki's has a kids menu item called the Sneaky Tzatziki. Well, we're not talking about that tonight, but what I will talk to you about is Sneaky Missouri. Yeah, transition of all transitions there. And Sneaky Missouri is probably about to surprise a lot of you people because Sneaky Missouri 
is sitting here right in the thick of things for the number three player in the country and the number seven player in the country. In football, Josh? In football, everyone. Williams Winari is going to commit on August 14th. So this is coming up pretty soon. He is a five-star defensive lineman. He's 6'5", 250. You know where he hails from? Missouri. And also, since we were showing you Ryan Wingo there, Ryan Wingo's a five-star receiver. Latest crystal ball there is on Missouri. Both of them reside in Missouri. They have prioritized them. And I got to be honest with you, if I had to bet right now, I think they may land both of them. So let's just keep an eye on this because you land a couple of top 10 players. We all know what that does to your ranking. They, they kept Luther Burden home. And so Eli Drinkwitz and company, you know, that Kansas State game in week three is really attractive. That's all I'll say right now. It's a really attractive game. Sneaky Missouri. Not just any Missouri, sneaky Missouri. Next up, Caden Durham today committed. He was also a teammate of Colin Simmons at Duncanville out there. This is a four-star running back. Very important pickup for LSU. 5'9", 195. LSU is about to lose three running backs that, that have done uh, things for them. None of them have quite panned out how they should have in their college career. This cat had 1,900 yards, 36 touchdowns last year. In 6A ball in Texas, which is as good as it gets, uh, that's an instant impact true freshman when he gets on campus. Uh, there are people, some people, who believe if he left high school right now, he'd be able to contribute for LSU this year. Well, he just committed to him today. And I was, I was at the friendly downtown YMCA here in Nashville, and I don't believe in multimedia devices in there, but even I had my phone propped up on the squat rack. I was watching it. And so big get for LSU there. that They missed out on Colin Simmons, but they got a really, really good running back there. And also, speaking of just freak athletes, Terry Bussey, really good name. Terry Bussey's probably on the all-names team this year. He's an athlete. He's listed as one, and he is one. Tempson, Texas is where you can go if you want to watch him play high school football. Total freak. Like, dominant quarterback, going to be a receiver at the next level. A&M is the favorite for him at the moment. He is going to also be immediate impact. Whoever lands him, you got an instant return guy. Uh, probably slot receiver guy could put him on the perimeter, could probably put him in the backfield for all I care. 5'11", 180. Uh, nationally, he's the 15th ranked player, but he's the number one overall athlete. OU, Texas, Bama, all the big schools are in it for him. I think a and M's probably the destination, but I want you to think about this. I keep talking to you about how underrated a and is in terms of offensive skill. So let's say this year they actually do fulfill on some of that potential. And then this guy comes in. And, and um, Coleman, the kid from Alabama, comes in as well. They already got him committed. You would have a five-star quarterback in Wigman. You'd have a five-star running back in Ruben Owens there. You'd have Evan Stewart still there, five-star receiver. You got five-star athlete in Bussy there. Coleman's a five-star. You'd have five stars all over the place. Uh, their roster would be littered with them. It is a dereliction of duty if you don't light up the scoreboard and hang 40-plus points per week with that. Recruiting is no longer a December and January sport. This is the time of year to be following recruiting. They're watching us in Clovis, New Mexico tonight. They're watching us in Moultrie, Georgia, and State College, Pennsylvania. And we appreciate you guys so much. And if you're watching live, thank you as well. I'd love to have a 1,000 likes before we go off air. Wish in one hand and like in the other. See which one fills up first. It's a Meemaw quote. Let's go all the way to the West Coast. 
I think everyone has an opinion of USC. I want yours tonight. I want to talk about the best case, the worst case, and the actual most likely record for USC this year. I think the expectation scale got kind of badly out of whack with Lincoln Riley. And by that, I mean, forget about what you think about Lincoln Riley. Forget about what you think about that USC logo. Just picture a generic team for a second. And if I told you that team has national championship potential as a program, but lately they've gone five and seven, eight and five, five and one, COVID year, four and eight, and then fill in the blank. If I told you the next record was 11 and three, 11 and one in the regular season, what would you think? You would think a phenomenal job had just been done. Well, that is USC right now. And that was Lincoln Riley's year one. He rebuilt the roster in the span of one spring, essentially. And they went 11 and one. And then they lost the Pac-12 championship game. And then they lost to Tulane in a bowl game. And folks called it a failure. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you most folks did. I'm saying there are some on the periphery, some on the fringe out there who laughed at him. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? He is where he probably was expected to be in year two or year three in year one. So now we get the fun task of figuring out how good could it be this year? Well, the best case record scenario for USC this year is 12 and 0 because they may be favored in every game they play. Now that is way up in the air right now. So we look at that beautiful sunset. Wow. So we were looking at some of the projected point spreads for USC. They go to Notre Dame. They are currently about a one to a one and a half point favorite in that game. That is October 14th. They go to Oregon, second to last week of the year. Actually, it's the third to last week for everyone else, but USC's done after the 18th. So they go to Oregon, second to last week of the year. They're currently either a one-point favorite or a one-point dog, depending on which sports book you're looking at. They're a six-point favorite at home against Washington. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Utah. They're a 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home against UCLA. So. A lot of competitive games, at least from an odds maker's perspective, expected. This is mostly about their defense, though. If they win all these games, if they go 12 and 0 regular season, it didn't cause a Caleb Williams doing anything more than we've seen him do because what he's already done is enough. But when you benefit from the best turnover, look, turnover luck in the sport and you still end up 94th in points per game allowed, that is horrifically bad defensively. If they could just do me a favor and jump into the top 50 this year with those newly acquired pieces on the defensive line, that would be wonderful. Do you hear me? I'm just asking top 50. Coach Grinch, top 50, please. Uh, they go 12-0 and 0 if that happens. Now, what, what most of you probably tuned in for is the, the next segment, the worst case scenario. I thought about this for a second because I, I kind of flip-flopped several times between two records. I think the worst case for this year for USC would be eight and four. I flirted with seven and five. I went eight and four. And basically my mind goes back to what if they aren't better defensively? What if they aren't better? So combine that, combine not really improving a whole lot defensively with just not having the turnover luck. If you just did those two things, if they only have a moderate improvement defensively, but they're not plus a million in turnover rate, that alone could lose you three or four games. You, you heard me say how close odds makers expect those games to be. What if, their, uh, what if their portal acquisitions on the interior of the offensive line don't quite work out? What if the league matches up with them a little bit better 
when it comes to quarterback play. You don't have another Caleb Williams out there, but you got a lot of pretty good quarterbacks. And if they get to go against a USC defense that is still sucking water through a garden hose, they don't have to be as good as Caleb Williams to match numbers. They can lose four games out there, I think in the worst case, if nothing were to go right. And that's not even considering what injury could do to you. So what's the most likely record? The most likely record for USC this year, I think, is 10-2. and two. Their over-under is 9.5, so the over would hit here. Uh, Jesse wanted to go 11-1. and one. I'm almost there. I'm not quite there. Now, if someone listens to me say 10-2, and two, your natural reaction should be, wait a second. We went 11-1 and one last year. You're expecting us to regress? I'm actually not. I'm not expecting you to regress. I don't think USC will be a worse team this year. You got to understand what that turnover luck did for you last year. And what just having even numbers in the turnover battle and having the same team or maybe even a little bit better team does to a normal season. By the way, the back half of their schedule at Notre Dame, Utah, at Cal, Washington, at Oregon, UCLA, they play all the best teams on the back end. So I just, it's tough for me to see that best case panning out. Now, 11 and 1 gets them everything they need. But if I'm playing this thing out a thousand times, I think there's more 10 and 2 in there than 11 and 1. Unless they've improved more than I think they have defensively. And they got to stay healthy. Even with those guys they acquired, they got to stay healthy. That has not been the case so far. In spring, it wasn't the case to the point where they couldn't practice the way they wanted to. So 10 and 2, you can tell me, feel free to tell me why you disagree. Are we going to wrap it up with bold predictions here? Hmm. This is fascinating to me how, how quickly an hour goes by when we do this show. I don't know if you feel that way, but let's wrap it up with bold predictions. Bold predictions, the things that you believe to the point where you would bet your money on this. Well, one of you claims that you would bet your own hard-earned money on the winner of FSU versus LSU making the national championship game. That comes by way of Inlet, South Carolina. That's where Taylor lives. So this is a week one game, Sunday night. We'll start our show early because of this game on week one. So the winner's going to the title game, huh? Well, right now, LSU has the fifth best odds. Is it to make the title game or win the title game, Jesse? I miss his voice in my ear. Uh, they got the fifth best odds to do one of the two, and FSU has the ninth best odds. So, whoever wins that will have those numbers shift for them. Now, FSU still has a game at Clemson after this, and they got the rest of their schedule. LSU still has to go to Alabama, and they've got the rest of the SEC West to deal with. But you're not just talking about making the playoff. You're talking about them making the national title game. So they got to go win maybe their conference title game and certainly a semifinal game. That's just hard to predict. And so I'm calling it a nine. And these are good teams. And the winner of this team will certainly be set up well to where they could afford to lose a game along the way. Still calling that a nine, though. Now, as I say that, I'll also say, don't be punishing folks for scheduling tough games because we all know what that leads to. Next up. Uh, This one sounds radical, but it's not that radical. So Peacher from Denton, actually Nate from Denton, Texas, said, TCU will go from the national title game to 500 or worse. Do you think that's crazy? Because I think it's only about an 8.5 on the boldness scale. I don't have TCU below 500, but I will say 
Their over-under win total seven and a half. Vegas doesn't think this is an overly crazy prediction. They were 12-0 in the regular season last year. And they, they won a game by eight, seven, three, seven, one. They had three wins by 10 points. So you lose Max Duggan. You lose your top two running backs. You lose your leading receiver. You lose your offensive coordinator. And you already played a bunch of close games last year. It's just logic, just basic foundational logic to think, yeah, uh, some of these close games could just go the other way on you. Now, they'd need pretty much all the close games to go against them to go sub 500. So I don't think it's quite to that degree. But when you have losses like that, and then you have any kind of injury at those positions, that's when you develop, that's when you go from a question mark position to a glaring weakness. But we don't predict injuries on the show. I'm just saying it's inevitable. They sometimes happen. I'm going to call that, I'm seeing if I want to change my mind. No, I'm going to call it an 8.75. That's pretty bold, but it's not the boldest thing in the world. I could see a world where that happens. Next up. I'm going to wait for Colin to put it up because I want you to enjoy this along with me. And I know this person too. So Chuck Williams down in Columbus, Georgia, of, of WTVM, WRBL, Ledger Inquirer fame. You've probably seen him on every network down there. Uh, Chuck said, Peyton Thorne and Bo Nix will both be Heisman Ceremony finalists. Bo Nix I got no problem with. I bought the Bo Nix stock the moment it was released. I have not bought Peyton Thorne Heisman stock, nor will I. And the reason is because I don't think Auburn will have a good enough record, and I don't think he'll have a good enough year. I am sorry to rain on the parade down there. This is a 9.75 on the boldness scale for me. Peyton Thorne is currently at plus 20,000 odds to win the Heisman. He was 19 to 11 TD to INT last year. He threw for under 3,000 yards. So he would need like another 1,500 yards passing. Uh, he would, that, that TD-INT ratio has to go way up. Auburn just has to be way better than 6.5, which is their preseason over-under win total. And you're, you're basically predicting half of the Heisman field here, Chuck. Charles, uh, I can't do this with you. I cannot do this. And so I'm calling this a 9.75. Now, we can celebrate the fact that one of my dear, dear friends from Columbus has come on board and gotten one of the boldest predictions of the year. I just don't know if Chuck's actually putting his money on this. Lastly, this would be fun. Torrance, California, that's where Alex is. He said the Pac-12 is going to have an undefeated team at the end of the regular season. Uh, I don't think they are, so I'm going to call that a nine. The win totals, you've seen them flashed on the screen every single show we've had. To me, this has to be USC or Oregon. Uh, the, The odds makers kind of agree, although Washington has the same win total as those two. I believe that in order to go undefeated, there is a certain caliber of roster you're going to need. And I think they have, they have better high-end talent uh, than, than Washington does across the board. Washington's a plenty good enough team. But the one that goes undefeated out there, if one does, they probably have the kind of players that USC or Oregon do. But unless one of them has improved their defense significantly, especially significantly in USC's case, it's a meat grinder of a schedule out there this year. And so I think everyone's losing at least one. That's the key for me. Who only loses one game? That'd be good enough out on the West Coast. All right, good show tonight. There's the pin drop. Good show tonight. Uh, make sure, make sure, make sure we are recruiting everyone we can and telling everyone we can. Subscribe to the channel. There is no string attached. 
It's free. There's nothing else you need to do. Do the same thing with the podcast. And I'm thanking you in real time because you have been doing it. I just want us to keep doing it. So 47% of you are still unsubscribed. So there's a lot of work to be done until Sunday night. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley, the associate, ran a little mission for me today very successfully, according to my iPhone. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless.